Hey, it's the Feeling Family Podcast, a place where feelings are felt, stories are shared, and you are valid. With hosts Kylie and Sierra, you will dive deep into people's life stories and experiences facing each emotion along the way. From happiness to sadness, pain, joy, anger, hope, and everything in between, every feeling is important and we hope to prove it. Thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the Feeling Family. Hey guys, we're back for another episode of the Feeling Family Podcast. We're so happy you're here to join us once again. I'm Kylie. And I'm Sierra. We are your hosts. Woohoo! <laughs> and today we have a really awesome guest. I mean, when do we not have a really awesome guest? But true. But true, today. Man. <laughs> you did not. <laughs> You're right. His name. <laughs> you didn't like. I did. I actually really did. <laughs> uh, to catch you guys up a little bit, his name is Truman. If you didn't catch the joke, <laughs> Truman Burgess. He is joining us today. He. I actually met him when I was serving an LDS mission, but I got to know him a lot better when we were friends at BYU Idaho, and. A few months ago, he posted an article that he wrote all about his journey through spirituality after divorce, and it really caught my attention. So I reached out to him and asked if he'd be willing to come onto the podcast and share more uh, in depth, I guess, about that article that he wrote and the journey that he's been on. Yeah, and so he was actually able to share um, a little bit about that article. Um, we encourage you to read it so you can get even more of an idea of his story. Um, he takes us along the spiritual journey that he goes on because of leaving his wife. Um, he was in a hard relationship, and he talks about this in the story, his story, um, about how he just picked up in the middle of the night and had to leave for his own sanity yeah and so it's just a crazy journey because he got a lot of hate from church members or religious people and he just kind of lost himself and lost a lot of his faith and he needed to I guess figure out his place in this world yeah ultimately all the people that I don't know the word were rude (laughs) to him um kind of led him away from his core belief in God and so we hear a lot more about that and if you read the article he actually goes into more depth about the truly atrocious things that people said about him but in this article he talks a lot not in this article in this podcast he talks a lot about his like experience with drugs and alcohol and so many other things. I just think we're going to just let him get into it because... Yeah. And please make it through the whole episode. I hope you guys always do. But this one comes full circle and like left our mouths dropping to the floor because it is just so awesome. Really. It like brought complete chills to my body. So you're going to love it. Make sure you stay tuned and then we'll let you listen to Truman. It's going to jump right in. Yeah, I guess maybe I can, maybe I'll, I'll focus it on kind of the, the article that you read, Kylie, maybe like using that as a, a, as a touchstone, and then I'm sure I'll kind of go off okay. here and there. 
Um, but yeah, to you listeners, uh, a little about me. I'm a, I'm a writer. I, I graduated with an English degree. Um, you know, sounds, sounds kind of snooty, but like published poet, published uh, <laughs> journalist type. And I wrote an article um, for my newspaper I worked at. It's kind of my swan song of leaving the, the uh, newspaper. And I wrote an opinion column about my journey with spirituality after my divorce and trying to kind of refound my identity and and all of that. And so Kylie read that article and uh, and messaged me about it. And yeah, so I think that that's probably a good place to to go. But do you guys have any questions where you want to like start off or No, I think you can just start where you want to start sharing and I'll probably have questions along the way. Okay. That's cool. okay. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. Just go ahead, start us off tell us who truman is wow what a question who am i um <laughs> either you know there's titles to describe who you are so you know i'm a i'm a father i'm divorced i am clearly a man and i um i'm a poet and i'm i consider myself pretty athletic i do a lot of hiking rock climbing uh, soccer basketball um I'm an avid Latin dancer. That's Ooh. something a lot of people don't know about me, but dancing is a big part of my life. And I am an introvert, believe it or not, who loves doing extroverted things. Oh, um, I like that. Yep. So that, that's just kind of, you know, about me. But for today's purposes, I think we should start off in 2020, the, the great year of the apocalypse. <laughs> the year we all love. Uh-huh. And I mean, so in the year of 2020, I lived in Hawaii, Arizona, um, Oregon, and back to Idaho. So I lived in four states in that year. Wow. And I started out married with a six-month-year-old daughter. And at the end of the year, I was divorced and hadn't seen my daughter in about like five months. So there's quite a lot to unpack in that 2020, but I'll I'll just start with, um, I I don't want to say anything like negative about her with my my ex-wife. Things just didn't work out. And I'm the only one who saw it that way. And that was really difficult. It wasn't like a mutual mutual breakup, you could say. And so there was a lot writing on on me leaving, which I did in, in the summer of 2020. Um, we had a really stable lifestyle going on in Oregon. Uh, we were house sitting this ranch house for a guy who was on an LDS mission president trip for three years. Wow. And he needed someone to watch their house. So for five fifty a month, it was like a five bedroom house, you know, out there in the ranch, fully furnished, everything included. Um, you know, we had a, we had a good bit of money saved up. I left her like three fourths of the money and and she had a good salary job, family, friends around. And so when I left, I, I made sure I wasn't like abandoning my wife and child. Um, I realized if I wanted to be the best father I could be, I couldn't be this husband that I was. Okay, and yeah. Those, those two wouldn't work out together. And it, it was the hardest decision I ever made. I'm very proud of it still. And, you know, 10 p.m., on a Sunday night, you know, we had a little 
little fight that exploded and and uh we i just grabbed my suitcase put stuff in it and i was like i'm out and honestly at that time when i drove away i didn't think that was the last time i would see her face to face while we were married but i just felt like i was going to go to my friend's house um in idaho we were in oregon my friend's house for for a week or so but as i was driving away further and i spent the night with him it became a uh, very clear that i had to go down to arizona to my parents house that i had to distance myself and there was an onslaught of people i thought were my friends who thought they were my friends whom uh, when they were told and discovered about me leaving immediately projected a stereotype of this this deadbeat uh, husband left his wife and child to go off to go back to mom and daddy mm -hmm. and, yeah uh, that's hard to i don't know yeah. i feel like people would see it that way very easily very it's always easy. yeah easy to like blame the dad yeah and i mean i know of circumstances in which that really did happen and so it's not like that that doesn't happen um but it, it was very hard for me for a lot of reasons but family members even like luckily my family here was real close to me and my closest friends were um understanding but my phone was constantly blowing up emails phone calls messages um everything in between of people trying to reprove me or call me to repentance almost everyone was oh. religious and doing it and uh, attacking me and and it, it, it was just so hard i had to just turn it off yeah i was gonna say like what kind of emotions were going through like you said it was probably the hardest decision you had to make and then after you make this decision you just kind of get told how horrible you are i guess i don't know like yeah. you're just saying like all these things are bad and trying to call you to repentance like i feel mm -hmm. like that would add more emotion oh it really did and it's it's really against my nature and that's why it took me so long to leave is because i'm a 100 percent caregiver personality almost to a fault and so i can enable behavior that is detrimental to me when other people would be able to assess it and say, okay, no, that's not right. Let's, let's not do that again. I'm someone who gives the benefit of the doubt too often. Mm -hmm. And um, over time would just kind of roll over and let myself get yeah. walked on. How long were you two married? About three and a half years. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is, <laughs> I don't know how much you want to talk about your daughter. Or... Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. I love talking about it. Okay. I just don't know like <laughs> what you want to say and stuff, but how was that? How did that feel? Or what were your emotions leaving as you knew that you had to leave her behind for a little bit as well? I actually have a poem that I wrote about this. Okay. Does a, a better job of explaining it. And it's very short and it's not dry. <laughs> it's, it actually won the university's first place in the poetry competition oh that's um, awesome okay uh, it's real short it's called when i look at you okay when i look at you sometimes i forget i'm your dad brief moments when i try to see youth i could have lived before my fingers going numb and my eyelids swelling big like oyster shells the same way your mothers do and surely did the night i left you too it took me three days to miss you 100 more to drag myself to a parking lot before sunrise 
your mom, the woman I swore I'd always love, handing you off to me in Oregon fog, three frightened strays in the dark. Two days every two months, I rest your golden head thick with your mother's hair on my chest, and I lie to my world as if I've never died like this before, as if I didn't bleed through that gap between my soul and my teeth, as if I didn't curl around the only regret of my life cankering the fetal me inside my skull, as if the black truth weren't tattooed under my eyelids, reminding me full well I was the first to hear you laugh, but I'll always be the dad who isn't there to hear you cry. I'm gonna cry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I don't feel that way anymore. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, but that that captured the 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 conflict there because I I'm not you know I just graduated at the time I was a university student with like almost no money. Uh, I transferred from BYU Hawaii to BYU Idaho so I could stay close to Lily. That's my daughter's name. Mm-hmm. Um, because during COVID, everything was remote, you know, so that's why I was on the mainland in 2020, because I was able to do remote school at BYU Hawaii, but then I, uh, I transferred to BYU Idaho again, despite Hawaii being my dream school, you could say, so that I could be close to my daughter, mm-hmm. even though that was still a nine-hour drive, it was uh, closer, so I actually took out student loans for the first time, in the remaining semesters of last year, just so I could see her, because uh, it would mm-hmm. cost about six hundred dollars a trip to go over there. Um, oh. Gas, Airbnb, food. My car is kind of a gas guzzler, and it, it was just rough. And so I literally went into debt just to see my own daughter. Wow. And, and it was hard. And like to like now, I haven't seen her like, you know, face to face, um, actually this entire year. And yet I FaceTime her, you know, multiple times a week. And I try my best at that. But my last semester was January to April Uh of this year. And I only had one class left to take. Um, It just worked out that way. So I was only enrolled in one class. But because it was only three credits, FAFSA was like, oh, they're taking three credits. You don't get any money. I, we don't care that you're a single father who is like, you know, nothing in your bank account. You get nothing. And so then I have my rent I have to pay. Then I have, you know, my other bills I have to pay. And I had like nothing in my bank account. I couldn't get another loan, couldn't get anything. So I took up two jobs and working just to, to eat. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I had this dilemma of do I try to like, save up and live my life like spend four dollars on a friday night to go dance with my friends or do i like sacrifice all of this so i can get out there yeah here and then i couldn't even do that because it would require a four-day weekend friday's full day of driving saturday sunday seer and then monday would be a full day of driving nine hours back Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And with two jobs, I don't get a Friday and Monday off. Yeah. So it just creates this moral conflict in me. And like now, I've graduated. I'm going to have to start, I have to find a career job. You know, I want to get my life together. And I have, I'm in love with a beautiful, illustrious, intelligent, and empathetic woman named Trinity. And uh, she's my girlfriend, as you can tell. Hopefully, she would be <laughs> if I spoke like that. Um, <laughs> And so she lives in St. George and uh, she's got kids of her own. And, and so I have to make this like prioritized 
call in my life of how can I be the best father for Lily? Is it based on a short-term sacrifice of just two-day blips of a -a two-and-a-half-year-old? Or is it create a foundation of my life in which when I do connect with her, I can be in a stable, healthy, um, reliable contact. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's just a a lot of different levels of sacrifice. It's really hard. But um, whenever I can, like I was out there for Christmas, that was really good. And uh, it's just just hard. How, how can I choose to live and develop my own life without sacrificing it to see her? And so it's just tricky. Yeah, that is complicated. That's a lot. It's like, yeah. I think a lot of stuff that people like us don't think about, I guess, like people that aren't in those situations don't understand that there's so much sacrifice that goes into it. And it's not like as soon as you leave, you get all this money and you can like go and live your life and do everything you want like you still have to work to go see her work to maintain your own so good job like you're doing a really good job trying to balance that out so if you you're you were saying that you decided you went you were going to go to Arizona back to your parents but you didn't I don't know like what Take us back to there. What happened after that, I guess? Of when I arrived here? Yeah, like what you're... Like, because you stayed at your friends, you ended up deciding you needed to go back to Arizona, and, like, you went back to Arizona, and what was mm-hmm. it like in Arizona? What happened after you left, I guess? Well, thankfully, it was, like, a little bit of an oasis here, a sanctuary, of which my mom and stepdad were both totally understanding and in fact the night I called them and I told them I was like driving away from Jessica my mom said um honestly Truman we've been waiting for this call like we hoped it wouldn't happen mm. but but you know we see everyone has seen the signs yeah you know and we- that was kind of uh, astonishing to me because oh. I was like what like everyone else has seen and then the people who were closest to me when I spoke with them they're like yeah we knew it wasn't gonna work out it wasn't going well but I was blind to it. I was like lying to myself, um, trying to overlook the problems. Yeah. I was going to ask that. And then you answered it. Like, did other people notice and talk about it, but they didn't talk to you about it much until you came to the decision yourself. And then they're like, yeah, it kind of makes sense. Yep. Yep. They were in it. Give me a different perspective of how like, People that are close to me pay a lot of attention to me and the people I'm with and whatever romantic relationship I'm in. And a lot of the time they didn't, they won't speak to me about it because they don't want to hurt my feelings or step across a boundary or offend Mm -hmm. me. But people are always watching and having opinions about what's good for me and what's bad for me. And it's only after I've walked out of the scenarios with my marriage or, or with other difficulties I've had in my life like substance abuse problems or whatever it's only once I move away from that that everyone's like yeah we were really worried about you but for some reason it's difficult for them to tell me while I'm in it do you think that like it would have helped you if they told you while you were in it or you still would have been blind to it or like been like yeah don't tell me that I don't want to listen to you (laughs) I think in terms of of the marriage honestly I would have liked them to have told me those things um and i understand why they didn't but 
and maybe they thought that I already knew it. Like they, they knew that they thought I already knew it was dysfunctional. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just kind of a strange, strange thing, but it, it ended up getting better and having such a stable place here, a home, I didn't have to worry about, um, food or rent and i was still had my job online remotely i was an international english tutor for bill Hoy, and i was still taking classes online so that filled up my day but then came the the rough part of finding a lawyer and uh-huh. you know cranking that in because when when someone when i separate from jessica or that's her name oops um there's a lot of things go on in which you need some sort of agreement financially, like how are we going to pay this bill for this friend? Um, things set in stone and outside force to make sure certain things happen or don't happen. Like we both have access to the bank account. Now we're both good people. So we didn't just like, you know, take it all, but in some circumstances, that's when the mayhem happens. So you need to have like a law about what's okay to do and what's not okay to do. And she was not on board with jumping into that realm of a lawyer, moving into divorce very quickly, which I did. And that was really hard for her, understandably. Yeah. Um, yeah. I felt like that's just what I needed to do to, to ensure things. And, and so I, I'm really, I'm someone who makes changes really quickly in my life like when i see something's wrong or i want to fix something i can just like flip over and change my life like immediately and um sometimes i suppose i i don't think about how much that can affect someone else in my life Mm -hmm. and and i i don't i don't regret that decision or anything but I felt like I, w- I was so emotionally fatigued. I didn't have the emotional capacity to tactfully enact this conversation appeasingly. Uh, I, I had to just revert to my lawyer. Okay. Oh, I was going to say, how did you like tell her, like how did that conversation telling her that you were ready for a divorce go? Like you said that was that night was the last time that you saw her when you guys were married. So like, mm-hmm. did you just talk on the phone? Like, or you said you went through a lawyer, like what? exactly? Yeah. So there were only like two, two or three phone calls in the whole process because of how brutal they got. And so it was mostly like, these like long, long text messages and, um, partially because text messages can be tracked and, and put into, you know, with lawyers and everything. Okay. Um, and so just by nature of going that route, it became emotionally cold as well. And that's totally against my nature. And that was really hard for me to, you know, as my wife at the time is, is crying, like pleading for me on the phone, I have to, stay true to my guns and my gut feeling and just kind of shut off my my empathy so that i could maintain my decision and not be not be moved by by sympathy when when i have to follow a rational decision yeah you had to like a lot of people i think could see it as being selfish but you really did have to think of yourself because 
it wasn't the situation you needed to be in. So it's hard to stay true to that and be like, oh, I need to get the help that I need. I need to get out of this. When they're having a hard time, you're like, oh, well, maybe I could be you there for them. You want to help them. You want to be there for other people and like comfort yeah. in those situations, but you got to stay true to you and what you need. Yeah, I'm proud of you. That is hard. Like <laughs> being able to stay true to yourself and make sure you take care of your emotional, mental health, because that's how, like you said, you couldn't be the father you needed to be being mm-hmm. like married to her as you were her husband. So Yeah, I thank you guys. I appreciate that. <laughs> it, it was brutal, but it, it ended up being the right choice, definitely. It did not solve, it, it did not make my life easier by any means, mm-hmm. nor did it directly make it happier. Um, and it soon became really even more brutal, um, but, but freeing in its own right. When I transferred to BRU-Idaho starting in that upcoming January, so January 2021 of last year. Okay. Uh, BYU-Idaho has, uh, how do I say it nicely? Um, they have a, <laughs> I won't say it nicely because I'm already graduated. They have a discriminatory, uh, it's clearly discriminatory policy for divorced students in which they don't let divorced students stay in approved single housing. And BYU-Idaho has pretty much a monopoly on all housing in the city. And if they don't have housing that's contracted with them, it's, it's just sucked up by married students. And because married students, there's so many of them, they're looking for like, oh, we'll take this basement. You know, they'll, they'll just take whatever they can get. And then you have those big old buildings around campus, the apartments, all of those are contracted with the school and have this stamp of approval, BYU approved housing. And if you're a single student, um, under the age of like 25, 26, which I was, you have to, uh, you have to stay in approved housing in order to maintain your um, enrollment with the school. Mm-hmm. And the divorced students aren't allowed to stay in the approved single housing and they don't have a reasoning as to why. However, they do have something, if you want to get an exception to the policy, you have to fill out this massive form in which you write an essay about your divorce. Are you serious? You have to write why you were divorced and and like the most invasive letter. Yeah. And once they sent it in, it took three weeks for them to process. And then I get in the letter back and it's only two lines and it says, Dear Truman Burgess, we have reviewed your exemption and do not find yourself worthy to be no have exemption way. at this time. Please look for community housing. Regards, BRUI Housing Office. And what? so at this time, um, the semester's already started, you know, like like January. And so I for that entire semester, I was literally homeless. Yeah. So I stayed cool. at Airbnbs, hotels, my car. Um, because I couldn't find an apartment that I would sign like a lease and I was waiting to, to see if they would allow me to stay in single housing next semester because I didn't want to sign, you know, a six month lease anyways, if it Mm -hmm. meant I could be with my friends because I had friends that had an open room for me, but the school put a hard stop to that. Uh. And so that was ridiculously hard. And not to mention, 
here I am like broke. And now it's so expensive staying at Airbnbs and mm -hmm. in hotels and everything. I was ending up pay paying around, you know, 1200 ish a month for rent at staying at places. Oh and that's gosh. how much these students paid for three semesters or yeah. three months. Yeah. And so on top of that is, um, well, I transferred here so I could see my daughter. So I want to go make trips out to see my daughter. And so that's when I took out the student loan in order to pay for all of this. And I just didn't have my home. My car became my home. And, and it was just so, so hard. But I got really good friends I made that, that supported me and kind of became my family. A very generative experience of being on my own and in many ways liberating. Like mm -hmm. I, I, I almost felt like I was a pioneer on the frontier, you know, it was like the whole world feels like it was against me, but I can, oh, I'm not sure. going to roll over anymore. Like I'm done with being the victim. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm going to, to take whatever comes my way. I, I used to actually, maybe it was a little self-destructive, but I used to, if I was in like a sketchy situation or I was walking at nighttime or I felt like someone was trying to front or something, I would in my head, like beg for them to fight me or something like it was like please give me a challenge like I didn't want to this sounds weird but I I wanted to conquer whatever challenge came my way and and almost to a fault but it was uh it was it's definitely helped build who I was but it also was damaging in other ways particularly in my face and that's when I really fell away from my my beliefs yeah do you want to talk more about that yeah, yeah, I see okay. there's like a time remaining thing. But just keep talking. If it takes okay. us out, then we can just start, start another again. one. And yeah. then okay, cool. Yeah, so uh, for those listening, I know it's in Utah or whatever. I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, Mormon type. And, uh, you know, I started a mission with Kylie here um, nope. in the Maryland-Baltimore mission, 2014, 2016-ish for me. And... Uh, it was it, the cornerstone I built my entire life on. In high school, I was a forlorn loner. If you've seen Perks of Being a Wallflower, like that was me up until like junior year. And then I met my best friend, Joe, who is a drug dealer. And uh, now he's the eldest born president. You know, it's a sideline right. success story. Go but <laughs> he got me out of my shell. Um, I did a lot of drugs. and went to parties and that kind of thing. And just kind of found a different way of destroying my life. And that ended up with me moving to Arizona before my senior year because I got sm caught smoking weed. And then while I was here, you know, I continued the party lifestyle, got a little bit into harder drugs, and then um, had a good group of active in, in their religion friends who showed me you can have fun without breaking the law. And uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it's actually possible. You can have fun and be sober at the same time. Well, I know, right? It's quite the revelation. And that they, they were all going on missions, even though they were getting their acceptance letters to like Stanford and stuff. And they were deferring it. And they were, Stanford's like, we can't promise you a spot in two years. I'm like, I don't care. I'm going on a mission. And I was like, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you're ruining your life for this and uh, they were like have you even read the book of mormon and i was like well i know the primary songs you know <laughs> i know and if i built a boat and all this kind of stuff 
And they, they were like, just read it, man. And one of my friends gave me a pass along Book of Mormon. And I was like, hmm, maybe I will read it. And so this was like the end of my senior year. But I was embarrassed because I was, was, you know, attacking a religion. Um, so I went to the park and it's in Arizona. So it's like May of 2014. And it's like 105 degrees outside. No one's at the park. But, you know, I take off my shirt, go tanning <laughs> outside that pond or just reading, just like devouring this book. And I'm a literary guy, big reader. And so I read it from that perspective. It started in, there's a book in the Book of Mormon, for those listeners who don't know, scripture, um, similar to the Bible. But one of the writers, that's why it's called the Book of Mormon, is claimed to be Mormon. And he has his own little like editorial piece towards the end in which he gives like a journal account of his own life. And I thought, man, people call me Mormon my whole life. This book's called Book of Mormon. Who is Mormon? What is this? So I, <laughs> I talked to someone, someone like, you know, seminary teacher, my mom, whomever. They say, oh, he's a prophet historian who compiled, you know, all of this together. And I'm like, sounds like a lame guy. He's some, <laughs> his, some historian and this is who I'm being named after. Why aren't we called Nephites or whatever? We're like Nephi so much. <laughs> and so I like, you know, I'm out there, this punk, you know, 17 year old dripping sweat um, next to all <laughs> these like sunbathing turtles. And I'm, I'm reading this and it turns out like it's the most emotional story that, that could have been. It's that he had lived the most tragic life and everyone he knows dies. And he's like single handedly the captain of these people that he knows are doomed, but he can't stop loving them despite seeing them destroy themselves and meanwhile he's he's compiling this, his records of scripture about the religion the only thing he can hold true to is the religion of people who are dead mm-hmm. and it's like wow and he's talking in the first person and it's really powerful prose and so that really captivated me and and get me through the rest of the book and and there's a, a verse that says whoso Whosoever believeth in God might with surety hope for a better world. Really hit me hard because I, I had claimed I didn't believe in God. Um, but I also claimed like I wanted the world to be a better place. Like I didn't want to just be a hedonist. Like I wanted to do good in the world. Mm-hmm. And it, it just occurred to me just between me and God out there, like just kind of probed the horizon, you know, like, hey, are you out there? You know, hey. <laughs> you know, like I'm like I'm like almost like looking at the sun, and I'm like, is that really you? Yeah, like are you? I know, and it, like it's, it sounds funny, but it was like the most honest, the most honest thing because mm-hmm. there's no one else, no one else is around. Like, I didn't tell anyone I was reading this book. I didn't nothing. You know, I still had some drugs in my house. Like, you know, I didn't tell anyone any of this. And so when I got like a response from God, it it was so clear to me that it wasn't anyone else because this was like a secret. And and I had forgotten the words of Jesus, even though, you know, I was raised as a Christian. When he says, you know, pray not as the Pharisees do on the on the sides of the streets, but go into your secret places, into your closets um, when you speak to God. And I didn't know it, but that's what I was doing. And that it meant everything to me. And so I, I changed my life around. Like I said, I do it real quickly. And within like three months, you know, I have my, my mission call. 
Wow. And, uh, and so that personal connection with God is what kept me going throughout the whole mission, despite like the weirdest people <laughs> and the like lamest missionaries and, and just, there's everything in between and the hardships and, and, you know, looking at keeping track of what we did every day with all these numbers, zero, 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 zero. My companion's like, what are we going to do, Elder? And I'm like, what? we did the best we could. Did you connect with God today? Yeah. Did you help other people connect with God today? Well, yeah. It's like, now go to sleep. Why are you worried? <laughs> like, that's religion to me. Is a connection between God and man. The first, you know, great commandment. And so now fast forward. Well, my, my marriage, my religion was inseparable with my marriage. I was married in the temple as elders come president, Sunday school president, everything in between. And it was honestly what he had buoyed me up throughout my, my difficult marriage. But in this time of being alone and, and as close as BYU Idaho is proclaiming that they're like church ran and how much pain I had received from people calling me and having the framework of the church itself in question of, is this yeah. really, can this is this really like the kingdom of god on earth yeah it's like how wrong all these people are and yeah. so someone might say like well the the church is perfect the people aren't but in my view what if there's no people there's no church the like gordon b hinckley said in an interview you know like well you don't have crosses what's the symbol for your church and he said well it's the lives of our lives of our members and so you know i, I was just <laughs> Yeah. really struck with that and when yeah. the framework of the church comes into question literally i know the framework of my idea of god came into question because mm -hmm. how did i even know god was a man well it was taught to me it was that how did i know it, it, it all comes from other sources so it all just kind of fizzled out i see here that they say it looks like it's going to close less than one minute here okay where were you <laughs> Uh, some, some sort of rant i think i was <laughs> some sort of rant oh know? yeah i think i was in my spiritual decay uh, with the whole like church thing oh yeah you said you started questioning like even god like yeah, yeah. and a little background behind this um unlike many people who question or go through faith crises i was professionally and academically trained to analyze and construct arguments philosophically. I mean, that, that became like a massive part of my life after my mission. Um, while I was faithful in the church, is I, I became like a deep student of world religion, everything from Taoism to you know, Shintoism to Roman Catholicism, everything in between. I studied all different aspects of ancient philosophy from Plato and Aristotle to Heraclitus to Marcus Aurelius to you know, even the modern philosophers and even modern atheists like Sam Harris and, and people like that. And so I, I had been trained like in classrooms of being able to approach an argument to, first of all, like take away the emotional, the emotional biases that might be there mm -hmm. and to look at it rationally and say, okay, there's actually a hole in this argument or, or this is a logical fallacy or something like that. And I could look at a claim and say, well, there actually isn't, you don't have good evidence to support that claim. So it's just irrelevant. 
So when I started, I was questioning the church and stuff. Like I was seriously analyzing it. Um, it wasn't just like I'm offended. I know, yeah. granted, I, I don't want to like minimize that or gaslight that. Like that can be really, really hard, and I know firsthand how difficult that can be. And in, in some respects, but it wasn't like, your. Yeah. Um, I was actually just telling Sierra while we were waiting about how you were as a missionary and that you were like pretty much known for like having all the facts or like you <laughs> if you wanted to know something it was like oh go to Elder Burgess or that's all I did on the mission like in fact my, my companions would think like the first week I was with a new companion they, they would think that I hated them because for breakfast like we'd work out work out and then I would, you know, eat eat my my oatmeal or whatever, and take a shower. And before study at eight a.m., I'd be reading scriptures. And then a personal study for our investigators. We have companionship study. And then it's lunchtime. I quickly eat something, and then I read for forty-five minutes. And then we go out and we proselyte, and we're talking, and we're having a good time, whatever. We come back for dinner, eat, read. We, we go out, proselyte, come back, plan, read and write, go to sleep. And so they would think that when we were in our apartment that I hated them, when really I just hadn't, I just to make myself not homesick anymore, I made the scriptures my home. And so that's just where I wanted to be and escape to. And that's just how I was. I didn't use drugs anymore. I used the scriptures. Uh -huh. <laughs> a little replacement. <laughs> yeah. And, and that actually goes into say what became so difficult for me is because the scriptures have been such a and, and that includes the bible book of mormon doctrine covenants etc because that had been such a foundation stone of my spiritual belief and emotional stability when i began questioning the validity of the church and as well as the integrity of the actual scriptures that that became the grounds for the real divorce in my life like that, that, that hit me even harder than my divorce with my ex-wife, mm -hmm. because th this was how I processed the entire world. Yeah. This was the lens in which I viewed reality. And thankfully, I was able to already have a constructed belief system that was my own. So then when, when I didn't believe in so many aspects of the church and what the church claims as doctrine, I still had some things left over. You know, I didn't become just a pure nihilist. But I was able to, to, I, I thought I was able to stand on my own two feet and face the world, which I did. But I didn't have, I didn't have anywhere to come home to. I didn't have the solace granted by religion. I didn't have any person I could turn to wholeheartedly, mm -hmm. you know, in the way that you, you can turn to God. That's something, I don't know. That's something that I, I forgot is the foundation stone of religion for me, as it was, you know, I was just shirtless in that park, was the, the personal connection between me and God. That's it. And you can be completely honest with God because no one else is there. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to worry about overloading this person, trauma dumping on this person. You don't have to worry about them lashing out at you or not oh. hearing you. You don't have to worry about all of this in the same kind of way. And yeah. when you have that kind of relationship and it, and it leaves and you, you have to you second guess that and think maybe that was just all in my own head. 
maybe that never even happened. Maybe that it was actually just my own, my own intellect. Maybe it was my own mind speaking to myself and trying to give myself reassurance. That's a real slippery slope because as nice as that could be, to de- it, it didn't actually develop my self-confidence. It made me uh, more unsure of myself because mm. I couldn't even control that. Yeah. Know? And But I just put that on the sidelines because I couldn't handle that with my emotional capacity. I was already worried about where I was going to sleep that night. And so they all just like happened at once. And soon I felt very, very, very alone. And uh, without turning anywhere for peace, comfort, I went back into my old habits of, of uh, substance abuse. Mm. And I had good friends and I was excelling in my classes, straight A's. I was just loving my classes. I couldn't wait to get into my classes. Um, so you were, you were attending a religious school that is all based on your religion mm-hmm. at this time. So what was that like if you're going through like having these questions or wondering where yeah. it all is, but attending classes where you literally like pray at the beginning yep. or talk about Jesus and every, or talk about yeah. all the- It was really hard. Um, for my first semester, I didn't tell anyone that I had doubts and I didn't believe that the church was true. And I tried keeping that a secret. Mm-hmm. My closest friends, especially like my friend Joe, who I went to high school with, the one that you know got me into drugs, but then he ended up going on a mission, and I like walked through the temple with him, and we had like this spiritual bond. I was really worried what would happen, you know, if I told him or any of these friends. And I didn't tell girls I went on dates with. I didn't mm-hmm. didn't tell anyone. Um, and that was that was that was really. That was a poor decision. I understand why I did that, mm-hmm. but that was not good. I didn't trust my friends for viewing me as I really was. And so it, the next, or towards the end of the semester, I did open up to my closest confidants and told them, and they were so accepting and, and loving, and it was our relationship became better when I was honest with them. But as for the school, um, I really kept it to myself until I was allowed to not. That's a good thing about an English degree, even at BYU-Idaho, like the second most conservative school in the country, is that you can still rely on the literature professors to be very liberal. And so when we have like these open discussions and philosophical discussions or ethical discussions of a character in a book or just some idea in general, uh, I was able to feel like I had this free space that's which funny. I could argue something or, you know, and, and my professors were very helpful and kind. My religion professors, that was a different story. <laughs> and I had to keep that down to wraps. Uh, that wasn't very helpful. But I, I avoided, for those of you who don't know, in order to maintain your enrollment at BYU-Idaho, any BYU school, you have to have what's called an ecclesiastical endorsement. So this means you meet with a bishop and he basically gives you this like check mark it tells the school, okay, he's, he's worthy to go to the school. And as part of that ecclesiastical endorsement is you have to go to church. And so as a student at BYU-Idaho, you have to go to church if you want to maintain your studentship. That was really hard for me. Yeah. And uh, luckily I had friends I could go with. Um, eventually it became so difficult. And I can say this now that I graduate, you're not allowed to do any alcohol 
or you know, no smoking, nothing like this, or you get kicked out like this, expelled mm -hmm. if you're caught. Um, so <laughs> it almost felt like I was in high school again because I had to hide everything. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, at any one time I had, you know, at least five, six full bottles of hard liquor in my car. And I would just like, you know, go in there. And, and this is, I can say this now that I graduated, but um, I used to, and I'm not like, I'm not proud of this, but in order to, to cope with how difficult it was for me going to church on Sunday, and I'm bipolar. And so I, I actually have had like bipolar breakdowns in those scenarios because of how hard it was for me and how badly I wish the church were true. And I had that faith I used to have. I actually would, I would pregame church. Yeah. Awesome. So uh, every Sunday for like four months straight, I was just like at least buzzed, borderline drunk. And in so much that I bore my testimony like three times because my friend told me he'd give me Pop-Tarts if I did. Oh. And, but he didn't know. No one knew. No one knew that, you know, I was, I was uh, you know, drinking. And apparently I did a good job because everyone yeah. else was just like, that was such a powerful testimony. And I was like. <laughs> I got a Pop-Tart. Yeah, I don't I remember. Pop -tart. Um, I have no idea what I said. And that, that I think like as funny as that is and also just like there's people who hear this and they're like shaking their head like what um it reveals just how hurt i was yeah and oh yeah. i felt like i had to medicate myself mm -hmm. to go to a church i'm forced to do in order to stay in a school i didn't want to stay in but i transferred so i could see my daughter in which i took out debt just to see her only yeah. two months once every oh. two months like that was the state of my life Absolutely. and uh, just felt like you kind of kept getting more and more trapped into all these things yeah. that you yeah. didn't want. Yeah. Well, and BYU, it's hard to transfer out of because so many yeah. credits don't transfer over. So you're yeah. literally stuck there. Yeah, stuck. And uh, but thankfully, you know, this I, I got a great job. One of my favorite jobs, I worked for the newspaper there. And uh, I was talking about my housing situation. And two of the reporters heard me. And they decided to do an investigative journalism piece on the school's like divorced, divorce policy. Wow. So they wrote this massive editorial in which they actually like followed me. At this time, I had found a lease and it was like a three month lease. I lived in this basement. I call it the dungeon. There's no <laughs> windows and uh, just the worst roommates you can Im imagine. And they did this like walk through, like welcome to my crib sort of video of oh. me showing them and, and within a week of that being published, I got an email from the school saying, well, we've, we've reviewed your exemption and we, we, we are gonna give you the thumbs up. And they said, due to a lawsuit, we've, we've allowed you to have being open. What? Oh my But they God. said, they only said that three weeks into the semester. And so I already had a three month lease. So I was like, well, this sucks. Yeah. I had to wait to move in until or September, but. Oh, well, that worked out well. And I had my good friends as my, my family I could stay with. Um, my faith just kept going downhill. And so did my emotional stability. And up until this point, I hadn't like, I hadn't had a relationship with anyone, like a, you know, a woman. I'd gone on a lot of dates. I liked a couple of girls, but I never like, never worked out. Mm -hmm. And then I met someone that I liked and intrigued me. 
and I thought was going well. And she had a similar like doubts for the, the church. And let me say to anyone who's gone to BYU Idaho or is going there, like there's a huge underground society of, of rebellious, mostly idiotic uh, students that like I met cocaine dealers, heroin dealers, they're students of BYU Idaho. Like that's, that's like a very real thing. I didn't do those drugs because that's don't do that stuff. But I made a lot of this. It's not your preference. <laughs> well, yeah, it's just, that's just bad news. And, uh, but I met somebody who, you know, similar mind to me, and we, we drank a lot together, and she helped me out in certain circumstances, but she, she inevitably kind of denied me and, and turned me down, but still, like, felt like there was something, was kind of playing me. And the way that I was, as, like, hurt as I was, like she was just kind of like playing with matches almost carelessly for all these like full 18 year old Nickmo, you know, high schooler, yeah, jock, like sales bro guys. And they're just like little like patches of green grass. We had like a spark or something. But she didn't realize like I was an entire forest, like that hadn't been watered in years. Like I'm this like dry kindling of a mountain. And then she like, you know, is doing her little match thing. And then, you know, like, like it's the end of the world. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was really bad. And it, it, it just really wrecked. Me. I mean, she's still, we've managed to be like close friends now. Um, but that, that just ruined me. And, and I did learn that all those, those times I thought were real. Mm-hmm. She had been on um, acid and other drugs without telling me during that time and so she didn't even remember it oh it's like things i thought were real i was like well maybe she doesn't you know she says she doesn't feel but in this time you know we had it was an amazing night one of the best i can remember in my life uh-huh. and i find out she doesn't even remember that ever happening oh. it's like how can i even say that that did happen and so then that's like okay now i'm crushed <laughs> destroyed yeah. even and uh yeah thankfully I'm very thankful for this because it, it like annihilated all of my, my structures of what my life's purpose would be. Because for so long, I figured my life's first purpose would be in love, you know, like real love. Enter January of this year, rock bottom. I'm like straight, I, I got, unfortunately, from like November to January, I'm not sure how explicit the podcast is, but I was pretty big into the drug DXM, Ditramorphan, which if you hear like rappers, they're like, yeah, we're addicted to that cough syrup, bro. Like that's what it is, is there is an ingredient called Dextromorphan that's a cough suppressant. And mm-hmm. it's in taking in large doses has a high effect. Mm-hmm. And it's extremely dangerous because of mostly the other drugs that are in it. So like if you chug NyQuil, you're also chugging tons of acetaminophen and, and that would just kill your liver like nobody's business. Yeah. By the way, you know, it's just really a bad thing. Um, very damaging to your body, even by itself. And that's how low I was. That That's just how I wanted to just escape it all and be numb. And I remember it got so bad that I was just like laying on my kitchen floor, just like, I've been like crying and like tripping and my roommates didn't even know what to do with me. So, and they didn't, 
they knew like kind of here and there that like oh yeah he's gonna drinking but they, i was never they never knew when i actually was drunk around them uh-huh and they figured something was wrong with me but you know they're guys they don't know what to do so i'm like <laughs> laying there and they're just like watching tv <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and they're like uh what do we do and they just like laid on the ground but i don't know how long and they ended up just going to bed are you <laughs> just serious? like well like they had said like hey are you okay and i was like no and they're like oh okay and then they went to bed okay, <laughs> well see, that's the thing about guys that a lot of people don't understand like if they don't they were worried about me but they didn't know what to do and so they just thought like oh truman's really independent <laughs> you know he'll get over it he just needs to one of my friends did give me a glass of water <laughs> oh there you go real saint <laughs> uh, and so but it, you know, I, I just realized in that moment, like, what am I doing? Man? Like, I'm worth so much more than this. And I knew I can do so much more. It's not like I had this, I, I want to be so much more. I'm going to have to learn everything from scratch. I'd already developed and lived a full life. Like the, the knowledge I have of the industry I was in, in journalism, the knowledge I have in in literature and just in human relations the ability to connect with people the fun things i've done and what i wanted to do and i was like that's all still there man I'm like mm -hmm. why are you running away from this and i mean the next day i started like all right enough of this crap no more alcohol no more dxm no more weed nothing and i that's when i started you know getting a workout routine scheduled that's when i start you're reading the psychology books. I got a therapist again. I started, you know, structuring my life as much as I could in order to be productive. And I started feeling like myself again. That's something that I've talked with other people who've gotten into substance abuse problems. And one thing a lot of people don't know is it's like you miss being yourself. Like you miss being able to feel things completely sober. Mm -hmm. You miss your personality. You miss that. And so I started really feeling that me again. Mm. And I started having a sense of humor, and, you know, as I, as I did. It wasn't just some wild child. I was <laughs> able to be me again. Yeah. And all this time, I hadn't touched anything Jesus-oriented. But that was the one aspect of the religion that was completely off limits to be criticized. I had a lot of friends who, you know, are anti-church, anti-religion, and sure, would be like bashing on Brigham Young or something, and then someone would then start like bashing on Jesus, and I would like shut them up, and I'd say, that's off limits, you know, like, yeah. shut up there, yeah. and they're like, what, why, and like one guy, I was like, I'll legitimately break your nose if you keep talking, and he's like, oh, oh sorry, man, I didn't know you were a Christian, and I was like, I'm not, and he was like, oh, okay, want some more rum? you know no. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's just kind of how that went the, the kinds of things people like goes on behind closed doors when people drink it's like the most hilarious stuff um it's so sad but hilarious and anyways you know i started thinking like what if i started to look at what he said again like what jesus actually said mm -hmm. and cut off any traditional view of his words so from what i know which is quite a bit about jewish history and and Ju judaism at the time of jesus let me read these words from a different translation of the bible 
and pretend I'm a Jew at that time. And I'm hearing Jesus's words for the first time with my background of a Jew uh, at, you know, my imaginary self. What do I think his words would mean? If I didn't have 2000 years of Christian fathers telling me what it meant. And it was so refreshing. It was amazing. And there's a, a Bible scholar today named N.T. Wright. I uh, uh, highly recommend anyone who's interested in Christianity at all um, to, to, to look into him. And he's such a great speaker and writer. But the way that he kind of ex explains reading the Bible through the historical lens, you start to see Jesus as a revolutionary. And, you know, the translation of gospel tends to be like good news. Mm -hmm. People focus too much on the good and they don't focus on news. Like, what is news? Is it like a doctrine? No, news is something, an event that's happening that like hasn't happened before. And you have to like figure out how you're going to react to this news. Mm -hmm. And that's how like Jesus became, as I was like rereading him, was this, this time of refreshing, this rejuvenating, revolutionary person that could take all the crap that was my life and and i can turn away from that mm -hmm. like that's all repent means is like it literally translates to just turn away and that's all they had to do and it, it was it was so liberating doing this there was no church there was no prophets involved here it was just that and, and so I, I just kind of view Jesus not as the son of God at this point, but more maybe just the ideology of that. Um, I still didn't connect in prayer to God for some time um, until, um, well, I, I don't want to, like, I'm just talking forever, man, but like how, how long do we want to do this? Do you guys have like a time limit or? Not really. But... <laughs> you guys just chilling here? Okay. Okay. We're, we're getting close to the present. Um, there's these big old sand dunes outside Rexburg. And if you've seen Napoleon Dynamite, you know, grandma, grandma broke her cockix, you know, four-wheeling at the sand dunes with her boyfriend, you know. Well, there's these big sand dunes that stretch for like 200 miles, about 30 minutes outside of Rexburg. And during winter, it snows so much that they're like these massive snow-covered sand dunes that you can sled down or ski down, whatever you want. And so my friends and I went out there one night, like 11 p.m., to go sledding on a full moon. And we can see everything. The moon reflected on the white snow, and it was amazing. It was like an ocean, tempestuous ocean had frozen and then covered with snow, waves of snow everywhere you look. And we're out there having fun, um, clear night. And I actually, I got my engagement photos back when, in 20, 2017, in those dunes um and it was exactly was it five years from when i got those engagement photos like two oh. almost the day of it was like february of 2022 oh. february 2017 so that's kind of emotional um but then i start like looking at the dunes and i see the light of Rexburg, the city on the other side of them, you can kind of see it like glinting over the hills. 
And so I thought, man, I'd love to go see that view. So I take two of my friends, I'm like, come on, let's go trek out there. So we're plunging through the snow, like <laughs> knee deep, waist deep snow. And they're like, oh, I'm so tired. And I was like, we have to keep going. <laughs> and they're like okay captain and so we're like trekking out to some arbitrary snow dune and once we get to like what i think is the top one there's another one that's even bigger and i'm like oh. we have to go to the biggest one the biggest one finally we reach what looks like the biggest one in the whole place this thing is massive and then it clicks in my head as i look to where it's close to the road the things boom, this is a sand dune that had my engagement photos on. Oh. And I was like, oh. oh, I have to climb it. And my friends were like, what? Look at it. <laughs> it's, it's like vertical. I mean, like you can't walk up it. You have to actually like, climb it. And so I was like, I'm doing it. And they're like, we're, we're going to sit here. So they just like <laughs> pop down in that snow. And the, the wind starts going hard, but it's clear sky. So I can see all the stars out there. But I start bear crawling up this thing, like almost fully vertical, like plunging my arms like into like past my elbows and like just pulling myself up. No thought. I start like grunting like a caveman, like <laughs> like this, this madness came over me. Like I have to conquer this. And once I get close to the top, I'm breathing heavily, I'm covered. It's like one degree outside and wind howling, snow across my face. Like I have to do it. And then it came out, like the actual dune came out towards me and like curled like an incline, you know, oh. I'm a rock climber. And so I was like, perfect. And so then I start like doing actual rock climbing moves, oh. like get myself over this incline. And once I do, I roll at the top onto my back and I'm on, I like kind of look to my left and look to my right and I'm above everything. I can see Rexburg on the horizon. I can see the sand didn't stretching. And I was so tired, but I didn't, I didn't want to look at anything to my right or left because I could just look straight up and it was just the stars. Mm -hmm. as clear as I've ever seen. As I was breathing hard, I just felt this like, this peace kind of bleed through me and it was I didn't even have the strength to move my limbs like I, I was just my entire body was spent and I but I wasn't cold at all you know it felt like the wind just stopped and I couldn't hear anyone I found out later Joe and Kyle were like yelling at me are you up there what's going on but you know I couldn't hear anything and I just I felt like my whole life had burned away and now I could finally talk to God. And mm -hmm. so as I just kind of like stared up at the stars, once again, I just probed out there. Like, hey, are you, are you actually there? Like, I know I want you to be, but uh, it's, I, I will like, I, I'm out of options here. Like I'll do, I'll do whatever you want me to, to, to find some sort of peace again. And at that exact moment, a shooting star streaked across the sky right in front of my eyes, like right center point. And the exact moment I, I like said those words out loud. And as coincidence that may sound, it doesn't matter because to me, that was everything. And, and that's, all, that's all I needed him to say i didn't yeah 
I didn't need some sermon. I didn't need some prophet to tell me something. All I wanted from God was just to know that he's there. Yeah. I don't I don't need God to teach me discourses on philosophy. I don't need God to even tell me how to live my life. I think I can figure that out pretty well of how to be an ethical person, but I can't do it without the emotional support of him being there. Mm. And that's really all I wanted and always have wanted. And that was like the catalyst of, okay, he's there. I can speak with him. He cares about me. I also think that Jesus in the Bible is right about what he's saying. So with that groundwork, let me go back to the drawing board. Mm -hmm. And as I did, I felt like I had this companion walking through this with me. And it wasn't like I was this lone Byronic hero, you know, traversing the sand dunes anymore. It was like, I'm going to the library of eternity and I don't have to study alone. Like I have someone with me who like pats me on the back and is like, yeah, I'm here. You know, I didn't, it, it was this emotional companionship that, that helped me along this path to come back. And, and what I realized is I, I start going back to the, the arguments against the church being true. Many of them, I think, are pretty valid. Many of them, I think, have too many flaws in their logic. So some of them have very good points. But here's the thing. There's just as many rebuttals to those points as there are for arguments against the church. And then there's rebuttals to those rebuttals. And it's an endless argument of ways it could be and couldn't be. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, it, it occurred to me in a prayer of God basically telling me, man, you just got to choose. Like, you're not going to be able to prove one's right or one's wrong. It's like you can't prove I exist or I don't. Like, you just have to choose to believe. You can't let one of them choose for you. Yeah. And so I was like, all right. I could choose not to believe. And I would have, you know, support, logical support. Or I could choose to believe and have emotional support. And I went with that. And... And I have not regretted that since. There's, when I go to church each Sunday, I know for a fact I disagree with most people in there about many core doctrines. But um, these are my people. You know, if I think there's something wrong with the church, which I think there are many things wrong with the people and ideologies and the even structure of the church, I'm not going to walk away from it. I'm going to think, okay, maybe I can help change it to be something even better. Yeah. And and while still maintaining the sanctity and validity of Jesus and, and living the gospel as he teaches, and as I really do believe, once again, the Book of Mormon teaches, despite the prophets in it being fallible, um, why can't we just all improve together? And, yeah. and I, I've been in this church my whole life, and I think I'm tired of being a victim. I'm tired of feeling like, people have lied to me or other people have hurt me or no, I, I'm tired of this. If they're going to try to do that, you know, they, they can, they can try. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to make everything better. I'm going to take whatever attack they're going to do. And I'm just going to brush it off. Resist not evil, Jesus says. And I'm just going to just smile and, and point to, to something better. And, and for me, 
that's Jesus. And, and so I've, I've graduated with more faith than I had going into <laughs> such a religious school. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's been a, a crazy journey, but I wrote an article, like I said at the beginning about this. That article I shared on Facebook. One of my like people I served on a mission with, Sam Levitt, I hardly even knew her, saw the article, read it, liked it, reposted it in with her own like words. One of her acquaintances, who was friends with her sister, happened to see it, read it, had an emotional connection with it. This woman's name is Trinity. She's divorced herself. Felt like she should send me a message, just like out of the blue. And she didn't expect me to respond in her words. But then I connect with her. Like, man, this oh woman my God. is beautiful. And, and next thing you know, what is she? She's a dance instructor who studied creative writing, published poet. She, she is, is so much like me in humor and in, in her divorce. Everything that felt like a weakness in her divorce is my strength. And everything that was a weakness in my divorce is her strength. We are literally the same person. She even said that to me. And their first date was at this dance in the Van Gogh Museum. We both just happened to be in Salt Lake. And I was covering general conference as a journalist. And she was up there to visit family. We had this romantic date dance at the Van Gogh Museum. And uh, she said to me like that night at like 5 a.m. She was like, um, I think you're the man version of me. <laughs> and I was like, that's crazy. I was just thinking you're the female version of me. And <laughs> since then, it has just taken off. And we're, I mean, I'm moving to St. George to be by her, you know, like it, wow. it's that serious. And how did this all start? This all started with that, that sand dune. This all started, if, if I hadn't had this reconnection with God, if I hadn't then worked through it and done the work no one told me to write that article no one told me to start looking for god again everyone figured i was just lost on my own mm -hmm. so i did it on my own to figure all of this out and just felt like i should write about it which i did that article is what led me to be with the love of my life right now oh my gosh. and if i hadn't done all this there wouldn't be the fruit of this part of my life. Like, don't get me wow. wrong, there's gonna be hard things forever. But like, like, how can I say, how can I in my right mind say, there isn't something good in this? And, and it's, it's changed my whole life. So that's where I'm at now. What a place to be. <laughs> yeah, ah. wow. I feel like with every line that you just said, like as you kept talking, I had something to say, like, there is so much, and I'm like, I feel like blown you away. just ended it in the most perfect way. Like, no, all of a really. sudden, it just like all tied together, Everything and together. it is honestly just like a hard but beautiful story. And I'm just so proud of where you are. Like, that is hard, but you fought for it, and I'm just happy that it's amazing i loved here. everything that you had to say like when you were talking about um jesus being your emotional support that was such a cool perspective i love that a lot and like what a cool way to think of him like walking with you through life just to be there to support you and pat you on the back like i don't know 
everything. I have so much I could say, but you did it all. You did it. You did all the good talking. So well, thanks for listening. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so You're much. You're awesome. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you yeah. so much. Anything you want to end with? And if you're going through a similar thing I was, just know you're, it can, is the most loneliest thing in the world. And just yeah. know um, yeah. that in your loneliness, someone else is feeling lonely. So you're never actually alone. So he kind of got cut off a little bit there, but we're really so glad that Truman was on this episode. He did amazing. As I was listening back, like editing, putting it together, I was just blown away by how amazing he did at like articulating the way that he felt and the way the journey that he went through. So I'm beyond grateful that he was on this week's episode. Yeah, he just blew me away and he's very good with words and he's a great storyteller. So we hope that you guys were able to enjoy the episode as much as we were. Um, once again, just check out his article. We're going to link it on our Instagram so you can go and look at listen to it look read read it yep read it there and then we'll link everything else like his instagram all that so you can go give truman some love yeah and we'll see you guys next week love you bye bye